to Dynamite. I'm John Pollock, along with Wei Ting here on this Wednesday evening. And by the end of this show, maybe the balance of power will shift. Interesting. Okay. Um, Between you and I? Yes. Maybe after all these years, I can go one up on you after all this time, Wei, because everyone knows who <laughs> has the influence on this site. It's Wei Ting who is pulling all the strings. We will see if that power is retained by the end of this 90-minute show. Okay, well, you're going to have to take it from me, man. You're going to have to steal it from me. How are you? Doing all right. Yeah, not so bad. You know, we're still enjoying some late, like, nice weather. Nice weather that we probably shouldn't be having in uh, the middle of November now. But nonetheless, it is here. We have a lot of shows that are up on the site this week. Uh, in in addition to all of our coverage from the weekend, a power struggle, full gear, we've got a great edition of Rewind to Raw on Monday night that Way summarized pretty succinctly with an episode of Raw, uh, a tweet that could have <laughs> summarized that particular show. And the big one was Tuesday night, dropping our Rewind Away numero 74. <laughs> I, I can't uh, translate you got it. 74. Yeah. Uh, of January 4th, 2010, TNA's three-hour impact on Monday night going head-to-head with Bret Hart's return to the WWE, a episode of Rewind Away that we've gotten quite a lot of feedback on. This seems to have uh, struck a nerve with people. This is, I think, the perfect time where this where we are a comfortable distance but not too far removed that it hits people in the, yeah, this is like uh, a nostalgic show officially. Kind of surprised that it's it's been 10 years since that show um and almost 11 we're, we're 11. almost coming up on yeah You're right yeah so uh it was it was interesting to go back i mean you got a lot of feedback for it i i feel like i didn't get any so are people just tagging you and not me well it's all that power you wield that scares off people from wanting to interact with you oh must be okay i'm the man of the people that they all come to yes well uh yeah we we spent quite a bit of time i think uh you know how long back. was the show? Two and a half hours? <laughs> it was a pretty long show, yeah. Two well, and a half what's hours. happened to these Rewind Aways? Like, they have just gotten longer and longer and longer. These are becoming marathons. Well, I don't know. We just, like, find more and more to talk about with these shows. Um, you know, of course, you do some great research. They're always p- packed with detail and notes. And, of course, our executive producers uh, often have a lot to contribute as well. And also, the trivia. Come on. That's the trivia's draw, be- really. become uh, that is a fun part where we go back to that particular weekend or week in history, and people have horrendous memories when it comes to uh, what was going on at that time. I would do just as terrible at these, and my favorite part is no matter how many times he does not want to participate, I put way on the spot, and he just throws out a random answer. It's it's all I could really contribute. I do terribly on these, but this week we had Chris Thunder on. He actually did quite well, didn't he? Yes, yes. This was uh, this was January of 2010, so everyone was digging a Kesha 
and back when TikTok had a totally different meaning. Yes, absolutely. Could you imagine? I mean, I mean, I'm surprised that song hasn't made a comeback yet. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not. But nonetheless, that was a, uh, as Braden would call it, a banger in January of 2010. Yeah, I don't think they say that anymore. Have we moved on from banger? I feel, I feel like we have. I'm the wrong person to ask. Is there like a site that could just keep track of all these things? It would be really helpful for someone like me. It might be TikTok, actually. Like, just tell me at least, like, what was the most recent one? So I can just be slightly out of the loop in, instead of saying it's, uh, um, it's dope. Maybe you could still get by with that. It's ill. It, you know, it all depends on how you say it. Okay. Well, awful then coming from me. So anyway, that's our episode from Tuesday night. Go check it out. It's a two and a half hours looking at impact. What an episode of this episode of, uh, of impact where 5 million things happen and it ends with, uh, the NWO attacking McFoley in January, 2010 and a close up of Hulk Hogan. Um, almost a sign of what's to come for the next decade. Nobody got shot though. No one was shot. That's true. Which, have you been following Impact and the follow-up to that? Not so much. Like, it's a total comedy, like, silliness. Like, it's not even, I it's not even like. I it would be serious. No, but I mean, it's like, I think you could have at least had fun with, like, the whodunit in, in a way where it's actually taken, oh. like, there's some payoff to it. But it's just, like, it's the 24-7 comedy of Impact is what the follow-up's been. It just seems, I don't know. Right. They immediately establish it's like, oh, he's he's not dead. He's uh he's recovering. Well, um But that, but everyone was talking it. about it. No, you were trending. You still it's uh it's shocking and uh deserves to be thoroughly, I think, uh discussed by the wrestling I don't know. I got nothing, man. Not watching okay. it. That's fine. Okay. Let's do a quick giveaway. Before we get into the news of the day, members of the Post Wrestling Cafe, um, you don't have to be a cafe member if you're listening to this. This is just happens to be a list we go by, and we're going to pick a winner, but it's just it's just a, a thing of gratitude that we do this for. This is not like there's some value <laughs> attached to this. This is not like, oh, I'm holding on to my lucky ticket here. It's just, hey, uh, what's up? It's like a w- virtual wave. That's what this is, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, just a nice gesture. We'll, we'll explain on the Christmas show or something. But, Way, who do we want to just say what up to? I think this week we should go to Connor in Ireland. Connor in Ireland? Connor in Ireland. Congratulations to you, Connor, in Ireland. You're Connor Fitzpatrick. Oh, my. Oh, I thought you were just bullshitting. This was really a Connor in Ireland. It is a a very (laughs) popular name over there. Connor Fitzpatrick in Ireland. You, uh, You receive. You have the opportunity to receive. Uh, Connor who again Fitzpatrick Connor Fitzpatrick you know what everyone's thinking what's that who the fuck is that guy (laughs) sure congratulations it's probably a made up name honestly but uh, nonetheless you're you 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 win today's draw well congratulations Connor uh, and all the best well 
Let's chat about some news items from the past few days. Raw on Monday night came in at a million six hundred and ninety thousand viewers, uh, a small increase from last week. But uh, the bigger increase was in the demo. They were up 10 percent this week, a point five three finishing number four on cable, where on Monday night it was like all the cable news outlets. They all kind of came back down to earth. So it wasn't the the inflation of all the different uh, cable news uh shows that were uh, proving to be highly competitive here. So that was a good sign for Raw, as was the fact that the Monday Night Football game was down 16% this week. And the tale of Raw was that their female viewership was up notably this week. Uh, Their 18 to 49 female audience was up over 20%, and women 12 to 34 was not just up 25% week over week, but in the third hour increased by 8%. Men, on the other hand, in the third hour, uh, dropped 26% among the 12 to 34 demo, and 18 to 49 fell 22% in the third hour. So uh, it seemed that this was a show this week that uh, women tuned into and men tuned in and then tuned out as the show progressed. I guess it was that that promise of this elusive uh, six-man tag with Drew McIntyre in the New Day against Ms. Morrison and Randy that uh, the male audience said... Forget this. How do you read any sort of meaning into any of this week after week? I think I think when you look at, I mean, it's just more of a pronounced uh, tune out that we saw, not just in the fir- in the in the third hour, but also the second hour. I mean, the second and third hour were both uh, relatively low this week. So what that tells me for this week is that the first hour you did have like a by raw standards a fine start in the first hour and that first hour certainly didn't hook a lot of people because there was a big drop in the second hour and then you know the third hour was you know just over a million and a half people so it just wasn't a show that i think grabbed a lot of people and this was in a week when uh i I think raw had more things working for him with a weaker football game and they didn't have the same pressure of the news competition i guess so i mean i just think overall um I don't think it's a hot program. The show today. was was bad, so I I can't say like there was anything on this thing that was in particular a draw or not a draw. Nothing on paper that like I feel would have enticed anybody to tune in. So um, I I you know I if you know anything about like particular stars who might are be trending to continue to attract particular audiences, I'd love to know because otherwise it just I there's nothing I can really gain from this information i don't know if raw has that dynamic with like even the ability to hot shot a match if they announce something like next week they're doing orton and drew mcintyre um is that gonna like we saw in smackdown bailey and sasha meant something i think roman if roman were to defend the title and they gave it a week of uh promotion i think that would mean something on raw um we're gonna see next week because that to me is the one match you can tease on raw that will mean anything just because it's been this feud that they've been doing all summer long but i don't even know like if you put that uh in the third hour at the end i i don't know if that's gonna hold hold people to any meaningful meaningful degree like maybe a little bit above what a third hour does but that's like 1.6 million people i i don't even know if a big title match can guarantee that on raw we'll see aew games Wade, mm-hmm. did you watch? Did you watch this this twenty minute presentation? 
Yes, I did. So let me go over kind of the uh, the nuts and bolts, and then I want you to give kind of a, an artistic uh, review of this uh, presentation. But that some of the key items coming out of this was that they are creating three games, which will be two mobile games, one being a uh, AEW casino, Double or Nothing, which will be released in the winter. Then we've got Elite General Manager, which will be essentially kind of like they're uh, you know, managing a wrestling promotion, very much playing to that fantasy element. And then their console game, which is being uh, co-created by Ukes, which is not only the uh, former majority owner of New Japan, but also was the WWE game developer for... 18 years, ending with the 2K19 game. So uh, they're also working with Hideyuki Iwashita, who was working on the team with uh, that design No Mercy back on the N64 console back in 2000. So those were kind of the main announcements. And then they, I guess, just um, watched a bunch of Apple presentations and thought, this is the way we will deliver this message with Kenny Omega, Aubrey Edwards, Cody and Britt Baker. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a huge like Apple geek. So like anytime one of these Apple presentations comes on, it's like, it's a big deal to me. So uh, immediately when Kenny showed up in like the jeans with the black turtleneck and glasses, uh, I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was really funny. And I think simply the, let me just say like the idea that like something like this is being presented, not by you know some executive like behind the scenes but by the actual talent who are you know clearly in the case of kenny omega and uh, aubrey edwards have a big hand in 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 the production of these things i think that's really cool and i think it continues to like show how much of a you know like i don't really want to call it a mom and pop operation because they're owned by a a millionaire but uh, it at least feels, you know, that much more personal and that much more, more grassroots, which I think the product itself, the wrestling product, has been able to convey up until this point. So that seems to, you know, like it seems to extend to, to the gaming division, which for I, for these two in particular seems like a real labor of love. Um, Kenny, I think, has talked about like the like at least you know uh mentioning no mercy perhaps in interviews in the past when talking about potential for like AEW games and that seems to be the main selling point of this it's that the game that so many people romanticize you know from that era uh to this day more than 20 years ago um they are bringing back the director um i believe he also worked on Def Jam the Def Jam mm-hmm. games yeah so those are very well remembered um and that seems to be the thing that pe- has most people excited. I did, did air some footage. I've seen mixed review to uh, the look of some of this footage. They did say it was preliminary, um, but you know it's a it looks a bit more arcadey. Uh, looks a bit more like WWE All Stars, which um, you know maybe maybe to people some people's taste, but to other people maybe they're looking more for like sort of sort of a simulation. But um, it's it's early um and they have something to show for it the mobile games i think will speak to perhaps a you know certainly a, a like it's aubrey edwards who's in charge of it and she actually worked on mobile gaming before working the aw so it's uh it's interesting i i can't really say i'm too i'll be playing the mobile games myself but um N- nor would i say the mobile games are going to give you you know i, I wouldn't like 
take it as any kind of correlation to how the console game is going to be delivered. Like they're totally separate projects. Um, mm-hmm. but, but under this, under, under the same division. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I, I definitely think though, like there will be interest in almost anything like that. This company has branded itself at, uh, like with, you know, like look at the action figures. Those things are still sold out, sold out everywhere. Um, they, they always seem to like, like the t-shirts do well. And, like, they always seem to like um do better than i think people expect them to so even like something like the mobile game i i you know i don't even know what a barometer for like successful mobile game is these days but i i can definitely see at least interest in people talking about it but when the video game arrives there are a lot of expectations it, it has you know uh, if it's not a good game i mean look at what wwe's been through recently with uh 2k like it can really tank a franchise so uh there are definitely high expectations for this AEW game yeah i'm really the worst person because like i'm not into any kind of gaming so i'm kind of curious like who is the intended target here because we have seen like like i go back to you know when i was playing games regularly of like that wcw nwo series that they came out with to me was just such a phenomenon that went beyond just like wrestling fans that bought this game. Like it was just a huge game and it's such an amazing advertising potential for a startup brand like AEW to have a successful game that lands in the hands of the right people. Is your target the, like say you and I, you know, two 36 year old males where no mercy resonates with us and means something or is this something that you want to be able to appeal to the person that is 15, 16 years old that, you know, wasn't wasn't playing N64, that this will be something that uh, is compatible to, you know, their gaming habits and being in line with what a 2021 gamer is looking for versus a nostalgia gamer that maybe there's more crossover than we're aware of? I think it's that entire net. You know, it's the people that uh, might be last gamers, like perhaps you or, you or I, who stopped playing video games ever since maybe like, you know, those like the N64 PS1 generation that might be interested in something like this. I also think it's uh, the the current generation of gamers who might not watch AEW or even any wrestling. But if this game is good enough, if people, you know, start playing it on Twitch or whatever, um, it, it might attract some people to AEW or it's just simply maybe AEW's prime target, uh, audience of its TV show, 18 to 49. I, I think that's the appeal of something like a video game. It casts such a wide net that it could potentially grab people from, from, you know, all demo demos. Yeah. I, I think it just, it, it represents a, a large, um, re- revenue potential for the company to have that successful first a console release that can, you know, it's not just revenue, but it's also branding for your company. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's a big deal. Like you saw TNA, they had a lot put into releasing their games. Mm-hmm. And I don't think met that potential, even though, you know, not all that different from AEW. Like they had, a, a, they leaned on their roster of guys that were heavy gamers, like your Joes and styles and tapping into that knowledge base. And they're definitely doing that with, Kenny Omega, who's ingrained in that world, so he would be someone you you would want here. Um, but yeah, this is going to be yeah in, interesting. I'm sure of what the release is and if expectations are met. Because yeah, a bad release uh, that'd be a strong negative. 
uh, for any follow up. There definitely seems to be like so you know very much um, uh, catering towards the hardcore wrestling fan, and you know that's the, just the fact that they bring up No Mercy itself, you know, tells you um, they are making this game for people who are longtime pro wrestling fans. And if they hit that market and if they're successful with that market and that market, I think um, appreciates the, the, the ultimate game that get, that gets made here. I think the rest will hopefully follow. Uh, Tony Khan did an interview at tsn.ca and there were some interesting quotes in this interview. Um, namely uh, with new Japan, it was, it was brought up about, the potential of of working with New Japan now that um, Harold May is out as president of the company. And Tony said, with New Japan, it's been a little more one-sided where we've sent people there and I haven't really had people from New Japan show up on my TV programming yet. I'd like to see more of a two-sided relationship there because I'm honestly one of the easiest people to work with in wrestling. We've worked with the NWA, we've worked with AAA, and we've sent people to New Japan. I think with Harold being gone, I don't know if it's going to be easier but I have a feeling it might be <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So shedding a bit of uh light on maybe what some of that holdup might've been in the past. Um, certainly with COVID it's like, mm, it makes you wonder how close you might be to getting anything like that of the sort in the near future. But you know, that AEW is open to it. It just comes down to new Japan. Yeah. And you know, if we're, if we're trying to read into things, I mean, like we saw that New Japan had pretty much iced any potential of working with Impact Wrestling to the point that they ended up off Access TV because they wouldn't work with Impact. And now we're seeing, you know, promotional stuff show up on Access TV for New Japan Strong. They're putting Chris Bay into the uh, best, uh, the Super J Cup tournament. So is Impact kind of reassessing their position that, hey, there is, it's, it's worth, getting into bed with some of these U.S. promotions. And if you're looking at, you know, kind of thawing that relationship with Impact, uh, does that change your stance and open the doors for AEW, which to me represents a lot more potential of back and forth talent exchange. And at least based on what Tony Khan is stating here, uh, he's open to it, but he doesn't want it to be just we're sending talent and there's no, nothing's being reciprocated. Well, the whole industry really has changed as a result of COVID. And especially if you're not the WWE, I mean, you know, any sort of footing that New Japan feels like they might have had in the U.S., I definitely feel like has been definitely been diminished. I mean, not just by AEW's arrival, but because they haven't been able to do their U.S. plans the way that they wanted to. So uh, and neither has AEW been able to. They haven't been able to tour. Um, So I think all these companies have to start reassessing the like their willingness to work with each other in order to just help the entire industry to succeed. It's ultimately what the fans want. And I think ultimately it would help everybody. He also said that the third hour of programming, it will launch in 2021. Khan said, he said, we've worked it out with TNT. It's 100% going to launch in 2021. I don't have the exact date yet, but I would look out for it soon. And it's right around the corner. So this is the, uh, another hour of programming that they have stated will not simply be AEW Dark being put onto TV. It will be an hour of programming, and we'll see where it's put in the schedule and what what is that content made up of. Is yeah. it just an extension of Dynamite in, in terms of like you know just 
first run matches and uh, a similar tone to Dynamite, or do they have something that they're envisioning m- m- much different from Dynamite? Yeah, this roster keeps growing. Uh, a lot of guys um, don't get onto Dynamite, um, so they can. Yeah, we'll definitely see. Um, Dark itself is getting like longer and longer and longer, so we'll see what they have planned. Um, you know, at this point, would you be disappointed if it was simply like you know a show of matches? Like, are you expecting something more than that because of like I don't know how much hype there's been about this not being Dark? I think that it's just it's got to be an hour that is must see, and you could simply that it's. I guess the the concern would be. If it's just simply like you're taking dynamite and you're adding an hour on whatever night of the week it is, are you at that point where people are like, what's people's threshold? Like it seems two hours is a good amount. So if you're going to add this third hour, um, you don't ever want to introduce a show that people just see and it represents a chore. I think with Dark, it's like if you watch that show, you get to see a lot of young talent, but it's not mandatory viewing. You can be – you can follow AEW very closely and you don't have to watch Dark. For this show to succeed, it's got to be a must-see show. It can't be just, well, there's – it's an enjoyable hour, but it's not must-see. On on the other hand, though, like you're talking about asking your fan base to watch three hours a week of what needs to be mandatory viewing. Is that going to be – a task for for their, their audience yeah uh and i think a big key to it is to be able to make it different enough whether it be in the the, the wrestling style or perhaps you know elements that you put on the show whether it be like yeah uh, different types of promo segments maybe it's video packages maybe it's you know something else that accentuates the experience of being an AEW fan simply rather than just getting more of maybe what you get on the wednesday um i'm definitely like interested in seeing what different ideas and original ideas they might have for this show so if it was just for instance an extra one hour edition of dynamite i think i wouldn't be disappointed well they've had enough time like this was part of like their new deal that was made back in january so i mean they've had the whole year to i mean they wanted to launch it earlier um so you know that will be something to watch for in 2021 what what night of the week would you would you throw this uh onto They've definitely like crafted um, a bit of a, you know, appointment viewing for dark on a Tuesday. You can always move dark to another day on the internet. Maybe Tuesday leading to Wednesday might be a good good time. Uh, yeah, where, where it could be an angle heavy show to set up Wednesday show. Sure. Yeah. Like like which at, at the peak of Sunday Night Heat when that show was doing monstrous numbers during the the peak period. Like that's kind of Sunday night heat. The the goal was, you know, set up stuff for, for raw the next night. Yeah. Um, do you see any chance of it being Monday or Friday? Not Monday. I, I mean, I, I believe Tony Khan when he states that, you know, given, g- given the, the Jaguars and the NFL relationship that they don't want to present anything that's in competition with the NFL. So I, I throw out Monday and Thursdays for those reasons. Um, Tuesday seems like the night you would aim to do it on uh, unless you wanted to be very aggressive and and you put it on a Friday against SmackDown. How about Saturday? Like like I, I, Saturday night. And, and then what it's it's a lead-in for pay-per-view nights? 
I suppose so. Yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, because AEW does their pay-per-views on a Saturday. Hmm. I, I just think it's a bad night of the week because you're always going to have a UFC going against you, whether it be a big or a small show. And it's just in terms of audiences being at home, I just think Saturday and Sunday are just much, much tougher nights. And you've got so much sports competition on Saturdays that yeah, I just think about like the 605, you know, Saturday thing that they might try to bring back. It's also, I mean, like TNT, it revolves around their NBA schedule. So it's going to be, you know, nights that are e- either either you avoid um, a night where the NBA is on or they take away what they learned over the summer in August that, you know, the NBA with AEW coming out of it is it's a nice programming pattern where AEW gets a big boost coming out of an NBA game that that's where that hour goes as following a big NBA game, which yeah. you won't be able to get every week, but that could how that, that's how you establish the time slot is it immediately follows uh, the NBA. We'll see. Uh, Tribute to the Troops is coming back this year. Uh, they had done the show last year, but it wasn't televised. This year it will air December the 6th, which is a Sunday, and it's going to be airing around Fox's uh, Sunday afternoon NFL games. So that will be done at the Thunderdome and – yeah, they will be having uh, service men and women and their families in attendance. Uh, so they'll be promoting that over the next couple of weeks. And coming out of Impact on Tuesday night uh, was the announcement that the Rascals, Trey Miguel, Zachary Wentz, and uh, Desmond Xavier have been evicted from the Treehouse. And they will be having their final match on Impact next week with Rich Swan and Trey Miguel taking on Des and Wentz. And this appears to be the, the send-off. For the Rascals, finishing up with the company. I'm really excited to see where those guys end up. Um, and interesting that they're all leaving together, um, which would indicate that they'd probably uh, reappear somewhere together. Do you have any um, you know, guesses where they may be? I mean, it, w- it would seem that uh, WWE is a, is a potential landing spot for them. Um, I know that there, there is a report out there uh, stating WWE is there. I can't confirm that. But, you know, it does seem like you look at WWE and they're making some signings now. And I think the Rascals would would fit in if the if it would be whether it be an NXT or just to put some some young some young baby faces on the main roster. I think that it that could be a welcome addition to a raw to have some young baby faces um, such as the Rascals are, I think. I think honestly, like these three, they've got a great act together. Um, Impact had really gotten behind Trey Miguel over the last couple of months, pushing him as kind of a single star as well. And I, I hope that the three, you would imagine they're they're kept together if they're all being uh, brought in together. Trey, where, where where would you think that they would be uh, best suited to, to go right now? I think NXT would be great for them. I mean, all these promotions, I would say, are are, are somewhat bloated. Uh, right now with with a lot of talent that have s- still yet to like you know receive i think decent pushes that are waiting for them but i think they would fit in really well in uh, an nxt mix especially if they come in as a trio um automatically they would feel somewhat unique you know coming as a three like a, a stable essentially and then fitting to like you know a current set of stable wars right now in nxt i i would be interested to see obviously AEW would be they would fit right in there too, but I almost feel like AEW has like too much of, yeah, just too many people right now for the amount of TV time that they have. And 
I think in terms of like wrestling style, like they're probably quite similar to like just a bunch of guys that are already out there uh, on that roster. So my pick would be NXT. Okay, you can go to postwrestling.com for all the latest news. Andrew Thompson also has a one-hour interview up on the site with Matt Taven of Ring of Honor if you want to go check that out. We move on to Dynamite from Daly's Place, and they had quite the uh, the rainstorm going on tonight in Jacksonville. I'm amazed this hasn't been an issue more weeks. Uh, I Well, I guess it would it matter. It's covered, right? Uh, partially covered. Yeah. I mean, it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't impact the program at all, but I mean, there is still like the opening of it and I, I can't remember any other weeks where we heard of like uh, a downpour or anything like that, but, uh, it was brought up here. I guess Cody made mention of it, but if you were looking, there was, uh, quite the storm tonight in Jacksonville. Didn't really make like come across to me on the show. So I, I can't really say it made different, a uh, difference for me. So this uh, particular episode, it was uh, noteworthy because earlier in the day, uh, Tony Khan had quite the uh, the tweet to set up tonight's show, stating that the balance of power would shift by the end of tonight. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's quite the promise to go into tonight's show, I must say. Balance of power, yeah. I mean, um, hard to measure, but okay. Do you feel like it... Uh, achieve that by the end like are we talking about like the balance of power in all of professional wrestling i i don't i don't think that was achieved in uh in, in one night i don't let's think pull so up, let's pull up the exact tweet he he wrote uh <laughs> that tonight well he said to stay tuned to the end he promised something would be good uh but earlier in the day here it is he says uh, we will keep delivering great matches on Wednesday nights. There are massive surprises ahead. Please join us on TNT tonight. The balance of power and wrestling will shift tonight. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know what that might, would have been alluding to that was on this show because I don't think he. There's nothing that big. I mean, if he was talking about the balance of power on Wednesdays, I mean that would that would kind of be bad news for AEW. Uh yeah, yeah, it would be yeah. And I don't I don't see that power shifting. Uh, tonight like seriously like this pack arriving indicate any sort of a shift of balance of power well it's it's what i'm saying is that anytime you do a tease like that you better have a goddamn home run it's it's what i always say about the uh the promise of the mystery partner or the mystery opponent it's that you can dangle that but it comes at the expense that you are now setting the wrestling fans imagination into orbit where they are going to be thinking of every possibility. And when Tony Khan throws out a line like that tonight, and people are automatically going to be thinking in the direction of Sting showing up, or Goldberg, or all these wild ideas, like, you have to have something that if people can't guess who it is, it's it's got to, it's got to eclipse what people's expectations are. So it's, I, I think for this one, knowing that it was going to be Pac, and you had just aired that promo last week, I think this could have been a surprise on its own without getting that kind of a hype behind it because it's unfair to pack that people are at the end of it saying, oh, it's just him. Right. Yeah. Like this, that was a cool surprise at the end of the show, but Mm -hmm. you've built up so much by throwing out a line like the balance of power will shift tonight uh, in wrestling. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're probably thinking about it way too much, way more than he maybe intended. 
This was like a big discussion tonight. Like this was like the big thing on uh, everyone was, you know, discussing. Maybe he so. meant the brand new opening and um, the change of font on this show. Well, that's true. I mean, maybe maybe they landed a gigantic um, – th- maybe they designed their own AEW font tonight. Maybe this is exclusive to Dynamite. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but uh, we have a slightly new altered opening to start the show here. New shots of the roster in front of like a custom backdrop. And uh, I think one year into this thing, slight rebrand. It looked good. We also saw a font update, which I don't think many people probably even – Noticed nor cared about, but they had the well, new the the new match graphics as well. They look fine. Yeah, it all looks great. Yeah, yeah. Team Taz comes out at the beginning, and Taz points out that Darby Allen is seated up in the rafters with the TNT title, and he tells him to keep his narrow ass in his seat and contact Cody Rhodes and tell him the same do the same thing as Taz threatens them. Brian Cage was set to take on Matt Seidel with Taz on commentary. Taz is, uh, he's great. Just plays like the old crotchety veteran that's annoyed about everything. And he's, he's great at playing pissed off. Cage attacks Seidel in the corner, suplexes him. It's all Brian Cage. And then as he goes for a German suplex, Seidel lands on his feet, goes for a Hurricane Rana, which gets blocked by Cage. But then he's able to catch Cage with a powerbomb. Hits the Meteora to the ramp, and then he's cut off with a discus lariat. The drill claw gets countered with Seidel using a Hurricane Rana, hooking the legs for a two count. And then, in the most impressive thing in the match, Matt Seidel does a flip off of the top, and he's caught in midair into the drill claw, and Cage wins in seven minutes and 45 seconds. Spectacular finish, and I, you know, I, I really do wonder like what the intent of them hiring Matt Seidel is at this point. I mean, they haven't necessarily been pushing him; they haven't really given him a storyline to speak of on Dynamite, at least. But I see the purpose of him in a match like this is to be able to give somebody like a Brian Cage a spectacular highlight reel clip in catching him in this drill claw and delivering this finish. Um, the finish alone, I think, you know, was worth watching. The match, I, I think, was good. But um, I, you know, I, I will say like for this edition of Dynamite, perhaps it's just because they wrapped up so many stories uh, on, at full gear. Uh, and maybe it also felt like they're giving a lot of their maybe top upper tier stars a break too on this one. This felt more to me like a, an addition, like sort of like a higher end edition of Dark where you had a lot more appearances from sort of like undercard talent who don't really have anything else going for him. And as a result, I, I can't say I felt much for Seidel here. He's just a guy in AEW. There's re- kind of little reason for me to care about him. Taz tried his best in that promo, but it wasn't quite enough. But nonetheless, um, if you're just looking for straight wrestling, you might have been satisfied by this. Certainly, you, anybody would have been with that finish. Yeah, uh, I, I thought they had a they had a good match, just like a, a good opener, really, really fun finish that they had uh, mapped out. Starks then got on the mic and said that they are ranked now. He's going for the TNT championship, and they're going to put anyone that gets in their way into the grave. Death. That's what it means, yeah. Um, Or a bunkhouse. Oh, potential. Yeah, he sounds great. And I think, you know, with Darby now as a TNT champion, that division is now refreshed. Um, I mean, Starks and Allen already have a feud going on, so... They can renew that that rivalry over that belt. 
Um, but just looking at like the mid tier of this show, the mid card of this show, uh, with Darby as sort of like the leader for guys like Starks to chase, I would say it's in really good shape. Cody comes out and Jim Ross notes, the man can now use his name. What a country. Cody brings up the weather, congratulates Darby. He says him and Arn are not seeking a rematch right now because he has another loss that he wants to expunge from his record. Um, so MJF is who he is talking about. And then out walks Jade Cargill, who confronts Cody and says that Cody is lying. She has been studying on the sidelines, um, which she literally was being in the, uh, the front row at full gear on Sunday, Saturday. Cody, she says, you called yourself the giant killer, and there is nothing giant about you. And she knows a giant, and Cody's statements might just wake this giant up and says, when it comes to these comments, keep that shit to yourself and watch your back. She is nothing to be played with. Then congratulates him on his name, but he didn't have the balls to go by one name. That a real like <laughs> you? You're so lame with a last name. You're not a you're not a badass like Sinbad or Madonna or the giant that she represents. A real star, Shaq. I did not expect that. Um. You know, I thought, oh, okay, who has, like, AEW signed recently that uh, hasn't made their appearance yet on TV? Uh, and who's, you know, this giant that goes by one name? Trying to rack my brain thinking about who, who what it would have been. I did not expect Shaquille O'Neal to be that giant. And uh, I'm very excited. <laughs> to, that's so, the potential of a Cody-Shaq match. I mean, it does. I mean, he did do that interview stating he wanted to face Cody. Um, this, I mean, from a strategic standpoint for TNT, like this does make sense that you would, you can do this. And they've obviously like, they're teasing this. And this is not something where I don't think it's going to be revisited. They put this front and center for you to expect. It makes absolute sense. I think Shaq as a personality is just spectacular doing anything, anything like he chooses to do. Do you know what he's, he's been doing lately? Like, of, of course, other than, you know, basketball. No. He is an EDM DJ. <laughs> and like Okay. If, like he's doing well, he's also like spokesperson for Papa John's. Um he's the man is is a man of many many uh projects. But like so I was I just like I was eating Papa John's <laughs> the other day. And then like you know, I'm thinking, oh like Shaq's the spokesperson now. They sell like the Shaq like pizza. And um I decided to like look up sometimes when I eat, um, I'll just like put music on. And like what I had in mind was like, I want to listen to Shaq rap. I want to listen to his like rap album from like the nineties. So there are not too many people who have that desire. Well, I mean, let me tell you, like, first of all, like I, I listened to, to some of it, uh, twism, you know, twism, uh, you know what that means? uh, yeah, I got I I got it. Uh, I got the album right over here. You got the tattoo, I bet too. Twism, but then like, like the playlist keeps going. There's like a Shack playlist, 
And then it's just the worst, most awful, awful noise. And I'm a fan of like electronic music, but this shit was just like the worst kind. Then I like, then it just keeps, I'm thinking, oh, okay, this must be like a remix of his like rap songs. Then it just keeps going and going song after song of this terrible, terrible music with like a shack in the background, like doing some sort of drop. And then I realize Shaq is a DJ now. I look up on YouTube. I type in Shaquille O'Neal DJ. The guy's like DJing like these huge festivals. And I don't know what he's exactly doing behind it. The turntables. He might just be hitting buttons. Like one or two buttons. But it's like he's like a really popular DJ. So um, the man, anything he touches is gold. Um, including Kazam. Including Shaq Fu. Like this will... This'll just be I, I have no doubt this will be a success. Maybe this guy should be part of AEW games. Absolutely. Like he's in the UFC game. Ken Fu. Ken Fu? What do you mean? Omega. This could be this could be the whole the, the series. Oh, got it. Yeah. Yeah, they should really switch it up. Forget the no mercy. Shaq Fu is what you should be so, aiming for. This is what's being uh dangled out there and as uh, Jade Cargill is back up the ramp, out comes Brandy. Who told you tonight was open mic night, bitch? Now you're my problem. Don't ever talk to him like that or even look at him. Bitch, get your ass out of here. And Brandy it just cuts the promo of her life here on Jade Cargill. And as she turns around, Cargill smacks her on the ass and Jerry Lynn has to come out and separate the two. Uh, I thought this confrontation was great. It was great. You can tell Brandy like, you know, was probably waiting for an opportunity like this for a long, long time. It's been a while since we've had a fired up Brandy promo and she unleashed on this like poor Jade Cargill. And let me just, this say, was, like, I thought I, th- I th- sorry to interrupt, but I thought this was like her best promo since, since she did that, that road to, the the one where she's talking about being a figure skater and I mean a totally different style of promo, but I mean we've heard Brandy like when when she has like the the character dialed in and there's a, a purpose for it, like she is a exceptional promo. I thought she was great here, just incredible confidence, great delivery, great trash talking, and I think it took a really good partner for her to, to for her to be able to kind of bring that out of her. I thought, oh, dude, dude, this Jade Cargill for a first time on national television, mm-hmm. like she had way more um, confidence and poise about her than many people in that position to come out and really carry this. Like it was not leaning on Cody. Cody just had to stand there for several minutes while she carried the promo portion. She definitely felt like a start to me, and I haven't seen her wrestle, so I don't know what level she's at there. Um, but like, as far as like, you know, obviously being like as tall as she is, the presence is absolutely there. The confidence is there. Uh, she looks impressive. She sounds impressive. And she had a big message to deliver here it's in Shaq. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of unconventional having a female wrestler inter- interrupt like a top male star like this. But it, it, to me, it immediately showed how much confidence they have in her. And I thought she delivered. It escalated her to like probably a higher level than she would have had. Uh, if she interrupted any female wrestler on the roster, for instance. Open mic night, bitch. So this was, I, I really enjoyed this. And then Brian Cage returns. And this was just like 
segment with like just tons of like stuff stacked on top of it. Brian Cage returns to attack Cody with a power bomb. Starks is in. So Darby's music plays and he comes out from the crowd. They fight off team Taz. Allen is wearing his thumbtack jacket, which he nails cage with. And then at the end, Will Hobbs shows up and gets into the ring and Cody and Darby like, we're good. We're, we took care of the problem. <laughs> like, Will Hobbs- which maybe, which maybe is by, by design. Like we, oh. we don't know for sure. Like Will Hobbs was given the choice. Like, are you joining us or not? Was he late on purpose? I think like there was, you know, p- potential reasoning for this. Very interesting. I didn't think of that. I thought he was just like, maybe probably in the bathroom or something. And he was just like, oh shit, I should probably be out there. He was really late. And he shook hands with uh, Cody and Darby. So I hope he washed his hands. Uh, I mean, if you were if you were mid piss and I was getting hit with a thumbtack jacket, I mean, I'd yeah. still want you to wash your hands. But I mean, if you didn't, that that's thumb- what a save is. You just got to drop what you're doing. That thumbtack jacket, and for those of you who didn't watch Dynamite, like it's exactly as it sounds. Like Darby <laughs> Allen is wearing a blazer with thumbtacks on the back. He's like doing coffin drops onto people. He's like doing like sort of like a, you know, like that, that like Umaga, like, you know, uh, thing to, into the corner. Man, that looks brutal. Um, and I almost feel like the, the dudes taking those bumps, like they, you can't appreciate how painful that must be. Cause like usually like thumbtacks have a great deal of anticipation attached to, you know, people taking them. They pour them out like from the bag. And then you really build up to the spot. This is like, you don't really even see close-ups of the thumbtacks. It's just like a guy wearing a jacket. You think he's just like from a distance doing any sort of like regular move with his back. But then like you see Brian Cage picking these thumbtacks off of his chest. And I just, man, I, I, I feel bad for them. What is the, what is the pain threshold that this man just accepts as normal? Like this guy, Pretty we've hard. seen. What are all the stunts that we've just seen him do in the last few months? Like he's rolled down a half pipe. He jumped off a bridge. Uh, I guess it was the buddy that got hit by the car last week. Yeah, pain threshold. I don't know. I mean, but um, you know, he says half of him is already dead. That's that's his whole thing, right? Yeah. Well, this uh, this thumbtack jacket. How do you get this thing through customs? Like if you're flying home, I'm guessing he doesn't. Um, like, do, do you check that? Do you? Yeah. Do you put in your carry-on? That I mean, might be a FedEx thing. I like to see Shaq in this thumbtack jacket. There's a pairing. <laughs> um, that's the world he's entering. That that can be the team name, Thumb Shack. Boom. Not a boom. Uh, throughout the night, I, I kind of like this. They like highlighted pretty much all the matches from the pay-per-view. Like they took yes. a you know thirty seconds or so to recap all the matches, and as much as people would complain about when, not so much now, but when NXT used to come off the takeovers, and the episode was usually you know a match or two that they taped before the pay per view, but it was all focused around coming off the pay per view, and maybe they went too far in that direction, but I. I always preferred that the show afterwards, like the focus should be looking backwards. Like you are coming off a major event and we are still absorbing all of the consequences and what happened at this huge event we built to and to your audience that did not see the show. You're, you're giving them uh, a huge dose of FOMO. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, they, they even like, um, 
decorated these clips with uh, quotes from notable uh, pundits in the industry. So it, I, I definitely did, did. Braden make it in there? I didn't look close enough. No. Oh. Alex Marvez interviewed John Moxley. He asks him about Kenny Omega. What's going on with like the the, the echo in these backstage oh. interviews? Is it is this a TSN thing? Is this oh. a TNT thing? Because I've it was uh, TNT. Yeah, it was like live yeah. in the arena. I mean, they just had the crowd mic on the entire time. So like the Th- this was a problem last week. This yeah. was not just an isolated incident. They got to fix this. This is total amateur. So they ended up fixing it for the rest of the segments. But here it like. It was like the audio engineer was asleep or maybe he was like busy doing something else because you couldn't hear anything here. Like you were getting the the regular feed plus the crowd feed. So everything sounded like just it was in a, I don't know, a cave. Uh, I couldn't make out what these guys were saying at all. Brutal. Like this, uh, that like there's no excuse for that. TNT's got to figure that out. Um, He said that it was he he's asked about Kenny Omega. And he says that on Saturday, it was more pain than he has ever experienced in his life, but he could not say the words, I quit. I came here for the roar of the crowd in the greatest business in the world. This title represents everyone, the people who can't pay their bills, kids who get teased and bullied, others that can't even make out what I'm saying because of this echo. Kenny is one of the greatest. I beat him once. Doing it twice will take somebody special to do that. Which I am. I'm the best wrestler in the world. I'm the man. And I wish Kenny good luck trying to beat me. And with that, they announced that the title match between Moxley and Omega is happening on December the 2nd. In three weeks, they're going to do this. Oh, I didn't realize that was only three weeks away. Wow. December 2nd. Okay, wow. So first uh, first Dynamite of December. That's uh, that's earlier than I was expecting. Um, I think February, like for full, what is it, uh, Revolution might have been difficult. That's a lot of TV to have to like. It's four months. Yeah, that's a long time. So maybe, you know, I'm not surprised that they didn't save it for that. But December, like in three weeks, feels a bit early. But now I think, though, we've also seen like AEW doesn't necessarily have to like hold back. Uh, as much especially if it's a match that we've already seen before in moxley versus omega like if it's ftr and the bucks yeah i think you save that for a pay-per-view but um even if they went to moxley and omega right now like by the time they get to february they'll have, they'll have another hot match they just made a show with eddie kingston versus john moxley right? i'm not worried about this company when it comes to like their plans like you heard uh tony khan last week talking about the fact that He's got like ideas for the next pay-per-view. Now he cautions that stuff always changes, but like they they have their shit together when it comes to you know planning out their next cycle of uh, up until the next pay-per-view. I'm sure they have a pretty good idea of where they're going for at least several months to come. That if they're doing this now, there's a reason for doing it uh, at this point. So it's um like they're put they're promoting this as the biggest match in dynamite history which is a tagline you can definitely attach to this it's a huge title match that everyone assumed they would have to pay for and like this is this to me is going to tell you what what is the highest level dynamite can hit because this is the episode that should be able to generate that number yeah absolutely um it's very early but like do you think that they go over a million for this? My gut says no, but they should. 
So I, I think I, I say that with the caveat that um, we don't know what NXT is going to have. We don't know what NXT is going to have. We don't know, you know, December 2nd, they shouldn't have much to deal with outside of NXT. Uh, but as well, like wh- how how hard they hit this the next two weeks. Obviously, this is going to be the match to promote. Um, I, I would say like a million should be for your biggest title match. And what you're promoting is the biggest title match. On paper, I'd say yes, but I was very disappointed with that anniversary number, and that was that should have been that was pushed as a as a big deal. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um. It it's it's definitely hard to say. I'm gonna say maybe not a million. Um. I feel like they would have hit that number by now, but you know we also don't know what else they'll be dressing up the show with. Like, I imagine they'll probably want to make the whole thing must see. Then we went to the bunkhouse match with the Butcher and the Blade against Dustin Rhodes and QT Marshall. And we had the the bunkhouse wardrobe, Dustin in his jeans and cowboy boots. The ring is surrounded by bales of hay. You ever been hit by a bale of hay? No, but those things aren't light, dude. Like, they're heavy. Dustin lifts up Butcher and... uh. Excalibur thought he was going for the uh, the reckoning, and it was just Dustin. He just got him up and just dropped this dude onto the chair. Blade then gets a guitar and slams it over QT's head, and this is where QT starts bleeding. Then there's a bull rope introduced uh, with Dustin using it on Blade. Butcher shows up with a chair. We go through the break. Uh, Bunny has handcuffed Dustin into the corner, and Dustin... Uh, Dustin's watching as QT gets beaten down. Uh, Dustin gets free at some point, and he uses a ladder. He uses a kendo stick. They go up on the stage, and Dustin bulldogs the butcher, who, mind you, worked this whole match with an apron on. I think you should always wrestle with the apron. So he hits a bulldog to butcher off the stage. They go through this platform. Blade... uh, what was Blade hit with? He was... Uh, guitar. I thought Blade used the guitar. Did he get hit? I oh, guess. you're right. Yeah, yeah. Blade... So, wait. Um, he got hit with something else. Yeah, he's, he, he started bleeding too. <laughs> okay, well, Halloween was a few weeks ago, but he popped up and he was Keiji Muto because his head... This, this blood... Blade is right. Oh, exactly. This was... Uh, you know, if... <laughs> He did take the pinfall, so this was the ultimate blade job. <laughs> uh, his it, the guy was just covered in blood. This was was this the bloodiest match we've seen on Dynamite? I'm gonna have to think back. Like, like we've gotten, been. we've certainly had our share of blood on Dynamite, but I don't think anyone's bled like Blade has. It looked pretty. Yeah, it definitely was a booty scale like type of blade job. Yeah. Dustin and Butcher return. Blade uses a chain. They hit full death to Dustin onto two chairs that QT breaks up with a trash can lid. There's a low blow by Blade onto QT. He almost runs into the bunny on the apron, but then QT knocks Blade into Bunny, who goes off the apron through a table, and it ends with the cowbell shot and a diamond cutter onto the Blade, and they win in 13 minutes. Uh... Just a spectacular brawl and super violent. And it seems that the the early warnings from Tony Khan that they would not be doing these, uh, for lack of a better term, blood and guts matches on TV 
uh, TNT's definitely softened its stance because we've gotten some pretty between the parking lot brawl and this. It seems like the uh, the bar is significantly higher of what they can do on TV. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it is cable after all. Um, so, well, uh, cool. Yeah, it was a very bloody match. A lot of big spots. I can't really say I got into it maybe as much, you know. Um, I think, again, for me, it was probably just due to perhaps a lack of interest in the feud itself or the team. Like, much of this existed on Dark. And this was like a big blow off, I think, to months and months of story between Allie and uh, the Nightmare family on Dark. She Um, maxed out his credit cards. Yeah, like it just didn't really resonate to me all that much. But if you were invested in it, um, this definitely probably um, delivered for you. I'm interested to see how this match does uh, numbers wise, because granted it was with the Young Bucks, but that that match did tremendously well uh, a few months ago when Butcher and Blade took on the Young Bucks in a match that too was like a wild brawl. So I can see a lot of people flipping over once you saw the visual here and the amount of blood that we're not accustomed to on wrestling shows these days. Yeah. Is that a draw? You think? Seeing blood. I I don't know. I I think that there's probably a lot of people that are turned off by it today. um, But I think there's also a, a hearkening back to, old time wrestling that blood is going to grab your interest. Like if you're flipping back and forth between this and NXT, I think you're settling on this. Well, I, what was on NXT? I don't know what was on counter to it. Okay. Hmm. Highlights of the elite deletion. And Matt says, uh, Matt Hardy says that Sammy needed to be deleted and broken. He lost the rivalry to an iconic star and, Guevara shouldn't squander what he has given him. And this was kind of an indication of us going to like big money, Matt, or kind of a a heel character here. I thought. Really? I seemed to couldn't tell. Like he's just, he he swaps back and forth with it, with all these characters. So he wasn't broken this time. He was just kind of felt like Matt Hardy to me, but yeah, maybe. The podium is set up in the ring for the induction ceremony for MJF into the inner circle. Uh, They aired Are You Ready to Rock highlights of MJF and Jericho. And Jericho is the first one to come out. He calls it a monumental night. They're adding two new members. But first he brings out the original members of the inner circle minus Sammy Guevara. And Jericho can't understand why Sammy isn't here. And I'm just thinking, didn't we all see him die on Saturday? Wouldn't he... Wouldn't it be realistic that he's uh has the night off? But no, he did not. Made his way back from the recycling plant or wherever Senior Benjamin dropped him off. Then he brings out MJF and Wardlow. MJF is in near tears. He <laughs> he takes the uh the the Donald Trump history of his father giving him a small loan of a million dollars. He's a self-made <laughs> man. He's got some great like lines that he just inserts here and says it's a lot of pressure being the ratings ruler at only 25 years of age. And he wrote some poetry that he thought Santana and Ortiz might enjoy. Now, uh, maybe he should have borrowed from, uh, from, from Shaq's rap, rap album, maybe to tie it all together. But he recites all me by Drake and Santana and Ortiz are just, uh, man, they're looking at Drake. What the hell that that's so 2010. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're the Drake expert. Am I? Yeah. What do you think? Um. Great. This was uh. This was fantastic. Santana and Ortiz are showing their displeasure, and Jericho explains MJF beat him. He is now part of this team, and we're going to be unstoppable together. We're going to make this work. MJF admits he doesn't even know who Drake is. I started from the bottom. Now I'm here. And we are also here to celebrate Chris Jericho's birthday. So these balloons got released that didn't quite make their way to the ring, um, but it was a nice try. And MJF says next week we're going to Vegas. And he passes them all tickets, which Jim Ross had this great line saying – they're probably bus tickets. They're going to have to leave tomorrow. <laughs> and that's how <laughs> the segment ended. I thought that was like really well timed by Jim Ross, like a very funny line to end this segment. Probably be safer on the bus. But uh, Great segment. You know, MJF is always good in every single one of these things. Uh, it, all of his interactions with the, the inner circle have been great. And this one relied a whole lot less on really anybody else, uh, not Jericho. Jericho's still like, Somewhat blinded by this guy. He thinks he's great despite losing to him. He, he likes him more than ever. And uh, I love that, you know, Ortiz still hates him. Sammy still hates him. Um, so next week, it promises to deliver more, like, out-of-ring segments, which, again, have always been great with these guys. These could turn out really well, you know, sending a camera crew with them to Vegas um, to just shoot stuff. Yeah, do you think they'll actually be there? Or will they just, like, I don't know, fake it? I think I think they're really going to Vegas. Hmm. All right. So maybe they will. Uh, I don't know. What 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 the hell can you do in Vegas right now? Isn't everything open? Are the casinos still open? I know they had reopened them. I can't see why they would have shut down. Well, <laughs> we're gonna find out if these segments are. Uh, what what? Maybe they get to Vegas and they realize everything's limited, or they're told, hey. What state are you guys coming from? Florida? Okay. Sorry. It's closed. Come on. You really think there's any sort of policing like that? Uh, well, we'll see. We, we we know they can't just wander into the Apex. Yeah. Maybe, the, maybe they'll try and go to the Contender Series next Tuesday. I don't know if Jake Hager would be allowed. Yeah. They'd have to. Uh, there's like he, he's uh, He's from the minor leagues. So we had some tag team title highlights from the pay-per-view. Ross calls it one of the greatest tag matches he's ever called. And Alex Marvez begrudgingly interviews the Young Bucks. Matt's limping. He exp- uh, Marvez says, I'm here to do my job. And he puts them over as one of the best teams in the world. Nick says the entire world wants to see a rematch. Matt apologizes for kicking Marvez. But right now, in the immediate future, we're looking for fresh opponents. And they mention Top Flight. And they want to take them on next week. They remind them of, of themselves. And uh, Top Flight, who's been on several episodes of Dark, including uh, Tuesday night's episode, uh, will take on the Young Bucks next week. I really like how like they promote even something as, you know, I don't know, probably not that important in the grand scheme of things as uh, the Young Bucks taking on this kind of no-name team. Uh, like giving them this level of spotlight in an interview segment like this and giving you a whole week to anticipate them to appear next week. So by the time they finally make it, the people will be playing, paying much more, much closer attention. I, I, I think it's great. And they're full Speaking on of, baby faces again. 
Yeah, they were they had to acknowledge the Marvez stuff, but you can see like they are greatly trying to just reel that back and kind of just explain that they had to get to this place to be able to become champions, but um I mean I preferred this rather than just outright ignoring it with Marvez. Yeah. Uh but on the topic of promotion, I was kind of surprised that we got nothing. The Young Bucks are putting out their book next Tuesday. And there huh. was no there was no I, I don't think they even mentioned it on the show. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. It's very good, by the way. I think a lot of people will enjoy it. It's it's covering a um an era of independent wrestling that hasn't been, you know, coming from their perspective, it's a lot of interesting insight into that period of the two thousands and, you know, their their time going going overseas, going to Japan multiple times, going to getting into New Japan being in TNA as Generation Me, and the whole exit from New Japan, which is some really interesting stuff as well. So anyway. Cool. Then Cody, uh, they announced Cody and Darby Allen against Brian Cage and Ricky Starks next week. That's followed by Scorpio Sky and Sean Spears, and they put over their records this year. Spears is 15-2 and two in 2020. Sky is 9-2. and two. And JR says that these two are too good not to be featured more often on this show. With records like that, yeah, absolutely. Well, here was their big chance. Um, early on, Sky bit him on the floor, which was not exactly uh, keeping with the rules. They went through the break. There was a slingshot cutter by Sky. Sky then leaped over these steps that were set up on the floor right into a super kick that they know didn't fully connect. And Sky is hit with a backbreaker on the steps. Sky comes back. He applies the Scorpion Deathlock, which Tony immediately called the Scorpio Deathlock. And Tully is fucking around with the glove in the corner, placing a slug, which was not an insect, but uh, a, 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 P, a block to allow Spears to insert into his glove when the referee was distracted. And then Tully tossed another slug. We had two slugs where he... Tossed this in, and Tully uh, is essentially giving Sky the opportunity to, I guess, have his own slug. And Sky threw the slug away. You know, after after that MJF rhyme, maybe we should have had two chains instead of two slugs. Two slugs. Oh, yes. So Sky throws it away, turns around, and gets blasted by the slug. <laughs> In Spears' glove, and Spears lands on top and pins him in nine minutes and eight seconds, disposes of the slug when Bryce then goes to examine the glove. Yeah. A lot a lot going on here to get to this finish. I, I'm not really sure why Tully threw the slug, which I think is metal. It's just a piece of metal. Let's like, just call it a slug. Yeah. Why did he throw the slug to Sky at the end? Um, maybe he wanted to see them battle over and have a slug of war. A slugfest. <laughs> uh, 10-9-U. Um, I didn't really understand that, you know? Um, did he expect Sky to not use it? Like, was he that confident that Sky wouldn't use this weapon? Um, I don't know what this was, because it was... I don't know. I, I can't. I, I don't. I didn't really understand what 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 this was meant to achieve. Like obviously, he was trying to like level the playing field. But why? 
level the playing field. Like well, he, he was—he gave a weapon to one. He gave a weapon to the other. Yeah. Well, what, like, but why? Why would you do that? Well, I don't, I don't know why, but You're that's what he was doing. Right. Um. Maybe like it seemed like he was throwing that thing to Sky just to distract him. Like, because I, I I don't know that part confused me. Um. The match itself, I thought was good. You know. Maybe um, maybe he thought if Sky took his slug, he doesn't have a glove. So if he used the slug, he was going to get disqualified, and he was trying to bait Sky into getting himself disqualified in the heat of the moment. So while well, like, which should have been expl- if that was the case, that definitely was not explained. Yeah, I don't even know if that was the case because, like, you you in order to do that, if you intend on like getting your your client like to win via DQ, I don't know if you would give that same thing to your client because your client gets risked. Of- no. But his his was hidden in the glove. Skies, it's right there in right in front of Bryce Rumsberg to see the weapon. I think it's better to not have the glove because Bryce was clearly suspicious afterwards checking the glove. You he know? never caught him because he put it down his pants. Well, uh, I don't got anything more than that. That's the best explanation I have for this. Uh, Sean Spears impro- improves to 16 and 2 this year. So th- he he's got to get like a big match. Like that should be something that comes out of this. Maybe maybe him and Darby will be a match at some point. I mean, he should be challenging for the world title, shouldn't he? Like I I think like Sky and, and Spears, they're both guys that are just like always on dark and as a result they're always racking up these wins, but they're not really figured into any sort of story like on actual dynamite. I I mean, Sky, I think at this point, really should like make that move up to like you know a more notable program on Dynamite. Um, it 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 just kind of like you know it gives a bit more credibility to your ranking system by doing that. And the guy like is, is really good. I I just didn't really have a whole lot of interest again in in this particular feud just because it was it was just another another dark feud that is uh, getting its climax on Dynamite. We go to Dasha. Kenny Omega was supposed to do a sit down with her, but he bolted. Marvez runs outside to catch up to Kenny, who's on the phone. He gives him a few minutes. He says he's going to step out from being an afterthought, and Moxley is holding something he needs and wants. It's the key to being in the number one position. All these people keep asking, where's the cleaner, the one from New Japan? Well, he never left, and he's ready to assume that role and be the best in the world. He calls it the biggest dynamite of all time when they face off December 2nd, and he says there is no record of us facing each other in a regular match with regular rules. It, we are 0-0, zero and zero, and he's got a flight to catch. So he is uh, playing up the lights-out match uh, which did not go on their permanent record. So it doesn't count. It never happened. It was like Jericho beating Triple H for the title. Mm-hmm. I like this, like, you know, very straightforward interview with Kenny. It was, like, not overly flashy or full of catchphrases, but, like, got all the information out there in a pretty believable way. Not sure why, like, they did that weird tease with, with Dasha. So what, like, oh, he's an asshole? He just, like, didn't stay for his interview? Is that what they wanted but, to show? But then he took time out. To, he was he took a break from his phone call to stop with this guy. I was like, oh, that's that's fair. Maybe Dasha wasn't ready or the, they were running long. We got all the inform- Yeah, we got all the information we needed by the end. So I'm not exactly sure for that decision either. Like, what, why the Dasha tease? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I can't put too much thought into it. It seemed needless. Ty Conti versus Red Velvet. Uh, Brandy's still pissed from earlier as she comes out in Red Velvet's corner. Anna Jay is with Conti. 
they got a bit of time here. It went eight minutes. Um, Ross really put over Velvet uh, as being a future player in this uh, women's division. Conti grabs her by the wrist and throws her multiple times, which Excalibur says is an Aponzi. And JR says, oh, what? And Tony goes to interject. And JR goes, oh, come on, Tony. You know what uh, what that is? And Tony, I don't know if he was ready for this, but he had the best comeback here. He's like, oh, yeah, I, I know what it is. Uh, uh, an Aponzi scheme. <laughs> Playing to, to my uh, my interests here. So they continued. There was a double head kick. Both go down. Uh, Velvet hit a running leg lariat and then used a jackknife cover for a two. Conti then drilled her with a knee, lifted her up for a gory special, and then flipped her around into a knee strike, almost like a go to sleep, but from the gory special position, and won in eight minutes and 10 seconds. And what we had in here was kind of the opposite of the last match where Anna Jay had slid a chair in for Conti to use, but Conti kicked it away and still won the match anyway. So she was the more noble of the two, but unlike Scorpio Sky, it didn't backfire. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, she refuses to, um, I guess, I don't know, join the Dark Order or at least be a heel. So that seems to be another story that they're doing right now. Um this is a fine match. Like it feels like it's sort of like a more on the kind of like you know mid tier of the women's division at the moment, which is not that far from the top right now. Um, again, it, it felt like a a dark match. Yeah, I mean, if there was if there was a match, like they did show a brief highlight of Sheeta and Nyla Rose from the pay per view, but not really a big presence of Hikaru Sheeta at all on this show. Her her big her big platform was the new game trailer. Yeah, yeah, and taking on Kenny Omega. Maybe they should do that match. Mm-hmm. And and that is notable. Like they are pushing like, you know, intergender matches for, for the game and specifically choosing that that clip to emphasize that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh but no what is it, uh Serena D. Byler? Nope. No. Marvez is with the inner circle in the back. They mock Alex Marvez. And then Sammy Guevara runs in and he says, I was told to go to the beach by MJF by email. And MJF says, didn't you get my second email? And Guevara is adamant. He only received one email. I was waiting for Jericho to say, dude, it's 930. You went to the beach tonight. What are you thinking? We have dynamite tonight. Jericho calms him down, hands him his ticket to Vegas and he says again, I never got that second email. Uh, but MJF just hands him the ticket, says it's on me, and takes off. So we are continuing the rift between Guevara and MJF. I really like it. I love the fact that they're continuing this and that uh, within you know the inner circle, there's, there's, there's going to be this level of friction. Um, I think these two are really fun to watch together. And, um, you know, those emails are confusing, dude, sometimes. Next week on the show, Kip Sabian versus Orange Cassidy, the Young Bucks against Top Flight, Cody and Darby against Brian Cage and Ricky Starks, and the Inner Circle slays Las Vegas. I'm excited for that the most. Yeah, I mean, uh, we would get another match announcement at the end of the show, but I would say on paper, um, I, don't know, I, I think Young Bucks and Top Flight, that'll be a really, I think that should be a hot match. Um, you know, you do have Cody wrestling, but... 
it does feel like the inner circle bits are going to be the big thing on the show next week. Mm-hmm. And probably multiple segments that we'll go to throughout the night. Yeah. Eddie Kingston comes out. The crowd is applauding him, chanting his name. He says, I know my name. I don't need you cheering it. So uh, not embracing the, the, the babyface reaction to him and fighting it. Uh, Moxley made him quit. He's got to deal with it and move on. Unlike you people who would quit and never wrestle again. I'll never stop and I will be world champion. Now you're going to see two of the greatest luchadors to ever do it. You're welcome. So that was the main event. Penta El Zero Miedo versus Ray Phoenix in the rematch from several weeks back. Eddie Kingston on commentary. He just says Moxley was the better man. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And then we shifted focus to Phoenix and Pentagon, where the announcers, especially Tony Schiavone, were on Eddie Kingston stating these two, they're brothers. And they were a great team together. And now they're they're facing off with one another. And it's coincided with you coming into their group. And Kingston is denying this. He's constantly referencing Penta as his best friend and taking these subtle shots at Phoenix, but not being overt about it. Uh, so... The match gets off. It's like a, a pretty hot start at the beginning. Uh, at one point, Pentagon places him like in a tombstone position, but then twists the legs for this standing submission before he tears away at Phoenix's mask. And this is seen as being more than just some friendly match that the brothers are having. This is Pentagon fucking with his brother's livelihood with the mask. And they note this would be a disqualification if it was in Mexico, which Kingston says, we're not in Mexico. After the picture-in-picture, picture, Phoenix hits a handspring cutter, and then Penta tears away at Penta's mask, and Kingston is pissed, and he calls for the DQ. He's going after his mask. So we get a forward roll into a spike DDT by Penta onto Phoenix. Phoenix then hits a tornillo to the floor. Kingston brings up Tracy Smothers as they're talking about hooking the leg, which was advice that Tracy Smothers always provided. Phoenix gets hit with the package pile driver on the edge of the apron. There's a Canadian destroyer to the floor and Penta finishes him off with another package pile driver inside the ring. 12 and a half minutes. Oh, really good match. As you would expect from these two. Yes. They definitely like took it up a notch in terms of um, uh, intensity uh, with the mask tearing, which I think looked really cool. I suppose it was just like unclear what happened over the weekend with these two. That led them to to this level. Um, what like what exactly happened even like in the prior weeks? You know that might have built up to this sort of you know like rift. I mean, if anything, Phoenix is the one. Uh, I mean, he hurt his neck in the last match. He should be pissed. Also, his his brother ended up taking a spot in the Eliminator tournament. So, if anything, Phoenix really had the gripe here, less so than Penta and Kingston. Yeah, I you know you can see why they did this because this was the breakup of of these two, but I I guess I was just missing like where the story is of why where the where the breakdown in in brotherhood occurred. Well, I think they're pu- I think they're placing it on like Eddie Kingston is the guy here that's getting into Penta's head and is causing the, this this rift. Like he has, but, what, but put- what sort of setup has there been? Well, I mean, there's it's not like he's been saying, hey, like. Like in, in, you know, in private at all or or anything that like he's that much better than Phoenix. Like up until this point, they were very much on equal footing in Eddie Kingston's eyes. 
I think there's definitely more context that needs to be placed here. But I mean, that is how Kinks has been presented from the get go, like with the winks to the camera, that this is a guy that is someone not to be trusted. Right. Okay. And he's been brought into this family and now this family is divided. So there's more story to be told. But then Allie came back. Well, yeah, he's got he's he's got a persuasion about him. I mean, he told Blade to get his family in order, and Blade was he didn't want to get on this guy's bad side. He's a uniter and a, I guess, um, separator. Well, yeah, maybe he has yeah, multiple plans at work. Maybe maybe he has plans for the Blade. Maybe maybe there's going to be a rift there. Complicated man. Well, it is. Kingston gets on the mic after the match. He tries to start a this is awesome and fight forever chant and mocks all the fans for their damn chants. He says, these are two of the best. My best friend showed him. And as he's in the ring, just subtly kicks Phoenix to the floor. Penta doesn't need that dead weight. And with that, out comes Pac. And he asks Eddie if he thought he'd be gone forever. The bastard is back and you made a big mistake. And there's a big pull apart. They note Kingston has not been cleared after the I quit match. That's why the officials don't want them to get their hands on one another. And just like that, matchmaker Tony, who has mastered the elite general manager game, instantly books Pac versus the Blade for next week, which begged the question, how is the Blade cleared for next week after Eddie Kingston is not cleared after Saturday? Ooh, well, maybe his lacerations were, were all superficial. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Eddie Kingston. This, this guy just left like two pints on the floor. Well, Eddie Kingston had his heart broken. That's, okay. the, that's a bigger injury that takes more time, I think. But, uh, yeah, balance of, and power has shifted. Pack is back. And it appears that he is a baby face with Eddie Kingston staying a heel with Penta. And it's also looking like Phoenix is at this point out of the group. I can't really see. How Phoenix can come back after just being kicked out of the ring like trash here. Yeah, it seems like you have divided. It's like you got Pac and Phoenix on one end, Penta and Kingston on the other. And then I guess we're left to see where where the Butcher, Blade, and the Bunny fall. Yeah, I mean, if this was like to be Phoenix's like babyface turn, I guess I, in some sense I'm a little disappointed. Uh, and we shall see because they could just, you know, give a lot more explanation next week. But like... I just didn't feel that any sort of like relationship between like he and Penta that was built up to this big breakup. Um, it just seemed to to happen. Um, and maybe they'll explain it tomorrow or next week. Perhaps we haven't been noticing that there's been a lot of Penta up frustration. Yes. Yes. Very nice. Feedback time. Forum.postwrestling.com. Let us see what everyone had to say about tonight's episode of Dynamite. And we go to the poll, and tonight, show gets a 7.89. Let us see what struck a chord with everyone. We start off with Bruce Lord, the man that was in this seat last week. Decent Dynamite tonight, if not the showiest. Not sure if the Storm people were mentioning on Twitter factored in, but the crowd seemed to really die down in the second half. Penton Phoenix have certainly had better matches, though the story they told here matched up with the larger one of Kingston's influence on both. I liked Omega's subtle dismissal of his loss to Mox, portraying himself as the seven-star earning best wrestler on the planet in comparison to Mox's grimier hardcore rep. 
doesn't just set up a clash of styles, but also advances Kenny's revamped pompous sportsman persona. Lastly, not sure how this would be measured, but has Shaq ever actually helped business any of the previous times he's dipped his toe into wrestling? I have less than zero interest in seeing Cody feud with him, but I recognize that these stunts exist in order to draw more casual viewers in. I mean, we don't really have, I mean, um, like, I, I wouldn't What's say the Shaq any- data analysis look like. Well, I mean, to me, like, the stuff he's been involved with, he was never, like, the prime focus. Like, when he did the, uh, you know, when he was there with, with, with Hogan for that bash at the beach, it was like, he wasn't, like, a prominent member of it. And then the WrestleMania Battle Royal, like, he wasn't even advertised for that ahead of time, as I recall. So, like, we've had these one-off appearances. I think, number one, do you expect this match to take place on TNT for that crossover? I do, Yeah. Like, I, that will do a number. And I do think AEW, they do have to do kind of stunts like this that is going to get people that have literally never heard of AEW to uh, tune in. And I'm not going to say Shaq is, like, the biggest star in the world you can get, but he's notable, especially to this audience. Like, if you want to, you know, cross-promote on TNT's platforms and you've got Shaq building up a match with Cody... um, I would want to do it during the NBA season. I would want to wait till, you know, you have Shaq on the desk and, you know, perhaps do, you know, some back and forth um, rather than just throw it out there. But this is probably something you save for some time. Do it in, you know, two or three months. Yeah. Well, aren't they coming back in like December? That's the target. Yeah. December 22nd. I don't think that's official yet. It's not that far away. But, I mean, if you have somebody, you know, the mainstream star level of, of a Shaq wanting to do something on your TV show, I, I don't think you're going to say no. Uh, plus, you might get a great DJ set out of it. So, DJ Diesel. Maybe that's that's going to be our spinoff for a third hour of, uh, you know, Shaq, Shaq's Dynamite on Tuesday nights. Mm-hmm. All right, we got Aaron from Brampton who says, This was a pretty entertaining show from start to finish. I love the Inner Circle induction segment. MJF indirectly quoting Drake had me howling. Aside from it just being funny, I liked how they furthered the story of the other Inner Circle members not trusting MJF. The woman interrupting Cody was very awkward. I understand her purpose was to be ominous, but she spoke too long without any substance. I lost interest quickly. As I was initially excited for Cody to address his old friend MJF, by the end of that segment after the others got involved, it made Darby look like a sidekick to Cody. Is that really how the new TNT champion should look when standing next to the former? And did Will Hobbs forget his cue to enter the brawl? Him running out last minute did nothing but remind me that he's on the roster. On an unrelated note, did you guys hear about Ticketmaster exploring the idea of customers verifying their COVID vaccinations before purchase? As people who cover live sports, what are your thoughts on this? Personally, I think it's a neat idea, but seems like it could come with tons of complications. I haven't even heard of this, so I don't even know the the entire logistics of this. So do you have any understanding of it? Like how do do you have to, I don't know how it would work, you know, like you just because you, so you have to test negative before you buy, but what about before you enter the building? Yeah, it seems, uh, I'm I'm sure they have some logic to it, but that sounds very um, complicated would be definitely the word I would think. I, I literally have not heard about this at all. So, uh, here, let, let me pull this up, okay? Uh, so okay. people can get get a sense. So, uh, okay. Ticketmaster has confirmed 
that they are working on a system that will use smartphones to verify a customer's COVID status, including if they've been vaccinated. The ticket distributor is currently exploring and plan, uh, planning to develop that system that will sync digital tickets with information from third-party healthcare providers. The provided information from the healthcare providers will include the customer's COVID vaccine status and test results. Ticketmaster says that any and all of the health information and verification will be handled and set up by regional health officials. The company says they will not store any of the health information themselves. Okay, well, putting all your faith in Ticketmaster um, about sensitive health information um, is my first concern. Um, hmm. This seems like, I mean, we do have, like, we now have a system where, I mean, you have a COVID app where your phone detects if you have come into contact with someone. So it's like, we have already submitted like certain information that our, our phone has that information to. So this is not wild, but to me, it, it comes with like, who is enforcing this? Are you telling me like the ticketing agent at the, at the front is now like a pseudo like healthcare screener? I think that it might be at least, you know, an idea like, cause how else do you enforce these things, you know, in a venue or any sort of enclosed space? I believe like you have to show your like negative test when you're about to like board certain flights, right? Isn't that the case? Like before you enter into a country, okay, for instance, you have to like, at least like Tamatanga recently talked about this, uh, you know, upon entering Japan for, uh, uh, you know, this, this tour of new Japan, he had to like, before showing you're getting on this plane, like, or entering Japan, he had to show that he tested negative. So you have to have, you know, if you want to be perfectly safe, like these sort of like um, gatekeeping measures, um, and it would make sense that the people issuing the tickets are also the ones to prevent you from entering if you don't pass these tests. Uh, certainly, like you're dealing with a population who has a lot more concern, I think, about privacy. Um, but I, I think it's good that they're at least entertaining this idea, you know, of of integrating the two. Um, as we as we more and more adjust to the the, the COVID generation, like privacy is something that you are going to have to compromise on. Like that's inevitable. I think, mm -hmm. I guess well, the question listen, here, I, ha I have this COVID app and because like they are so, um, I think sensitive to like storing too much information, you almost get no information. So like, I've like gotten alerts before that I've been near people that have tested positive, but the information is so vague and it's mm -hmm. so big because they store nothing. So like yeah. it, it would have been any time in the past two weeks that I might have been near somebody who ended up testing positive. They don't tell me where. They don't tell me when. Uh, they don't tell me anything else. And, and I think sometimes that's frustrating, you know, not knowing anything because people, yeah. I think, are so sensitive. So, yeah, definitely compromise. Some people prefer to have nothing out there. And I understand that, too. Um, but it's going to be tough to make everybody happy. I, I don't I don't dismiss the like that there is a a public good that comes with this. I guess another question comes up like it's one thing if you are a Tamatanga going to your place of business in Japan, if you way wanted really badly to go to a concert, are you getting in a lineup and going through the whole process of getting tested in order to go to a concert versus I'm not going through that hassle, which I think would be 
the majority of people. If I really wanted to go to the concert, and at this point I, I actually kind of do, I mean, it's been a long time, I would go through that trouble. It would make me feel safer while I was there. Um, it would be a detriment, or, or it would it would probably deter plenty of other people from, uh, you know, casually stopping by and wanting to go to a concert, for instance. But um, I would at least feel safer knowing that everybody I was sharing that space with also tested negative. And you'd have to time it, too. Like, if you're going to a concert on a Friday night, you have to like time it to be getting your test. You can't get it too early, mm-hmm. and then you're you're get, you get a test back, you know, four days before. Well, then you have four days of potential exposure. It's it, it let's I don't have all the answers. It's it's very complicated, and yeah. these companies have to be thinking like this. They have to be thinking of like, listen, this isn't just something where it's going to be over one day. It's going to be a long, long road back. I think they're desperate right now, especially if you're a ticket master. Like, oh sure. Just for for any sort of like measure to get people to, you know, restart this industry. And I'm sure there are performers that are out there that feel the same way. Yeah, we we should mention that we are planning to have uh, Dr. Alex Patel back on uh, in the coming days here at the site. So we look forward to chatting with him about an update and maybe talk about many of these uh, measures that are out there. We should probably actually put a questions thread up. Uh, We could. Sure. No problem. Okay, let's uh, let's do one more here. We've uh, we've gone pretty long tonight. Ryan from Greensboro will finish us off. There was a lot of good and a few awkward moments tonight. The Tony Khan tweets really up the ante of what to expect at the end of the show to the point that Pax return, a major development, seemed like a disappointment. Speaking of that angle and match, Kingston first came in as a full-time character trying to repair the Lucha Brothers relationship and his being blamed for them having more attention feels like a rare continuity lapse, especially because they didn't do the storytelling work to get there organically. Felt like something out of WWE where they have to have the announcers tell you the story heavily handed. Similarly, the Bucks challenging a team they'd already previously been announced as facing felt like a WWE-style little error that you don't tend to see out of AEW. The Cody segment was messy. The Inner Circle segment was fine. Ultimately, the show felt of the normal quality, though, with good in-ring work all around and some interesting storyline progressions. Excited for Omega and Moxley in a few weeks and to see where a few storylines go. That said, the little things pushed this down to a 7 out of 10. Thank you, everybody, for your feedback. So we could get to all of it. Uh, these shows are a bit longer, but you can read it all at forum.postwrestling.com. We'll, we'll, we'll also have a question uh, question start for Alex, Dr. Alex Patel. Yes, we will put that thread up. Uh, Way and I are going to be back on Friday night, 1015 Eastern with Rewind to SmackDown for all cafe members to tune in as we'll go through SmackDown and whatever else is happening. And yes, uh, forum.postwrestling.com. We'll put that thread up there if you want to post any questions. Way, I hope you have a wonderful Thursday and Friday, and I look forward to chatting with you on Friday night. Well, that's very nice. I I look forward to chatting with you then as well. What do we have coming up on Thursday? Thursday? It oh, the, the the British Wrestling Experience. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. maybe maybe they will be reacting to Pack escaping, coming to America. Sure. Yeah, plenty. I'm sure there will be. Uh, what else is going on? NXT UK, of course. Um, they're going to be chatting about. Uh, they're going to talk about Walter and Ilya Dragunov, uh, the Osprey heel turn, forming the Empire. Uh, they're going to be catching up on a lot of stuff, and they'll be joined by Ian Hamilton as well. So Benno and Martin, always a great time listening to those guys. So should be a fun chat Thursday night at postwrestling.com. And our friends at Up Next already have a show up going through NXT. With a notable title change. 
Spoilers. Sorry. Well, I'm, I really apologize. No, I, I I found out about it already. Oh, you okay. didn't spoil it. You didn't spoil it. It could be any title. That's right. They That's could, right. They, they, I I think what you meant was Braden and Davey changed the title of the podcast. They were going to name it something, and then they <laughs> changed it to something else. So that was a title change. That's exactly what I meant. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll speak with you on Friday.